Good morning, church. How many of you remember that we have for a while now been traveling through the book of Matthew? Not, just nod your head if you remember. Oh, good. We've taken a hiatus. We've uh, recently been talking about uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, talking about the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And um, we're going to step in back into Matthew chapter 9 today. So you have your Bibles with you, have your device. Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to be. Um, we're going to pick it, pick it up there about verse 27. We'll be continuing through almost the rest of the chapter. Matthew chapter 9. As we start today, I want to talk about following him home. Following him home. Um, when I was a little kid, my dad showed up with a dog. Anybody had a parent who showed up with a puppy? My dad showed up with this, this, this particular dog because the dog followed him to his vehicle and got in. It was just a little puppy, a little, it was a little poodle mix of some sort, cute little dog, grew up to be a not as cute adult, but alright. So my dad called this dog Napper because he was a kidnapper. He kidnapped my dad on his way to his car. So my dad was leaving. He stepped outside a door and this little dog approached him. And he gave the dog a hello, kind of a, a rub on the, ruffle on the head, and then kept going, expecting that the dog would stay there waiting for the next patron to come out. And he followed, and he went down to his truck. And as he was getting into his truck, he looked down, and there's this little dog. And this little dog is not tall enough to get into the pickup, so he's kind of trying to get up into the into the truck. And I think, as I as I recall, my dad telling the story, he had his had his paws on this on the uh, the baseboard of this of the door, and he, had, he was trying to get in. And so my dad reached down, picked him up, put him on the on the seat next to him, and that was our dog. I don't know where that dog came from. I don't know who's missing that dog today, but it became our dog from that point on. I want to talk about following him home. You know, isn't that the call of Christianity? Isn't that what God is calling all of us to do? Follow Him home. To walk in His footsteps? To be so clearly in His footsteps that most people would see when they saw you. Not you, but actually Jesus. To follow so closely in His footsteps that we make no extra steps. That we don't mess up the path. That we just follow those specific steps. So I want to I want to pick up where we've been going through with Matthew. I'm going to give you the quickest ever uh, sort of sort of review of the last couple chapters of Matthew. I'd actually go all the way back to chapter five to start this, but Jesus has preached the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, he sort of sets a whole new standard for everything. If you remember during that time, I was wearing an unusual shirt. Anybody remember the shirt? What was it? tie-dye shirt because Jesus is radical at this point. He's changing everything. He is throwing the world into a complete upside-down understanding of anything they've understood before. Religion after Jesus gets done to it is nothing like the religion that the Pharisees had been teaching. And so he revolutionizes the way we look at God and the way we understand him. And that sermon is the starting point where he just turns everything upside down. If you recall, as he's coming down the hill, a leper comes and approaches him, and Jesus does the unthinkable. He touches the leper, and he heals him. If you remember next, a centurion approaches him as he reaches the bottom of the hill, about to go into Capernaum. And as that centurion approaches him, Jesus heals this Gentile man, this, this man who is 
who is there in Israel, not as a guest, but as a conqueror. He helps and heals this man's servant. The man says, you don't even have to come to my house. I know what kind of authority you have. Say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. This man has better faith than any Jew I have met in my entire life. Jesus will continue healing other Gentiles, healing a Gentile demoniac. Not just a Gentile, but a demon-possessed Gentile. Then he heals a couple of women. He, he calms the sea. Matthew is building a case for us to understand that Jesus is, in fact, God. He has authority and power over the most dread diseases. He has authority and power in the Gentile world. He has authority and power in the demonic world. He has authority and power over the earth itself. Matthew is trying to get us to understand who we're dealing with. And as he's walking us through these experiences, these things that Jesus is teaching, telling, and demonstrating, he's wanting us to understand who we're dealing with. And now we move into the end of chapter 9. We're really closing this section of Matthew. Chapter 10 will be a completely different emphasis. We'll talk about it next week. But as he closes this portion of this chapter, there's a couple more healings. There's a little more activity. It's, it's actually been groups of triads of healings. There are three triads of healings in this section that we've been looking at. I don't know if you've noticed them. But as he's, he's wrapping up his story, Matthew is not accidentally writing these things. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, this book is very carefully written. Very carefully written. And now we arrive at that next place. Chapter 9. Here we are. Now we arrive at this next event, and I'm going to ask my brother to come forward and make sure you come all the way up this side and read for us. I'm trying not to do what I keep doing every week, which is introduce the child right before they introduce themselves. So would you introduce yourself, sir? My name is Josh, and I'll be reading Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 31. Thank you, Josh. Um, After Jesus left the girl's home... Two blind men followed along behind him, shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. They went right into the house where they were, he was staying, and Jesus asked them, Do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him, we do. Then he touched their eyes and said, Because of your faith, it will happen. Then their eyes were opened and they could see. Jesus sternly warned them, Do not tell anyone about this. But instead, they went out and spread his fame all over the region. Thank you. Welcome. You can take that with you. I have my own copy. So, and now, this, in this next step, I want you to think about what's going on. If you, were, if, you've been, if you backed up and read just a little bit, Jesus is back in Capernaum. He's gone through the gate of Capernaum. He entered, those of you who have been in Jerusalem know that little gate that's there at the outside, at the entrance to the Capernaum in the ruins of Capernaum. He goes through into this city. He's a small town. It's really, the streets are mostly about as wide as that aisle right there as he's weaving his way through with his disciples. He's met by a man named Jairus. And the man says, can you come to my house? My daughter is sick. She's about to die. And so Jesus is ready to go. This is one of the two women he's about to heal. And as he's being, as he's on his way, another woman sneaks through the crowd and pulls at Jesus' clothes. He just, she, she assumes, she believes, she trusts that if she can touch the hem of his garment, she will be healed. And Jesus says that when she touched him, he felt, 
he felt the authority of heaven. He felt the power of God rush out of him and into her. All kinds of people are touching Jesus. One person gets blessed by the touch. All kinds of people, including disciples, are touching Jesus. One person gets blessed by the touch. She's healed. Jairus gets nervous. He wants to carry her forward, wants to keep her going. They get to Jairus' house. He go upstairs. They find this little girl, and by now she has, in fact, passed away. When they arrive there, Jesus heals the little girl. The house has been filled with people who have already gathered to mourn. Noises and crowds and the, the, the event that's about to take place. This isn't a huge town. The people of the town would have already been gathering because of the sickness of this leader of their town's child to, to pray and to, to mourn and to be concerned, especially as she's reaching the, the, the apex of, of falling off into death. And as this crowd is gathered around Jairus' house, Jesus breaks into the crowd, breaks up the mourning, raises up a child, and he's now the host of a celebration. Some guys, a couple of blind men, couple of blind men hear what's going on. A couple of blind men hear what's going on. They make their way. They find out. They figure out that Jesus is causing a disruption again in Capernaum. And they find their way to Jairus' house. It's probably a known path. It's probably a major home in the city. They find their way and they wait outside, kind of almost lurking outside, waiting for the party to break up and the guest of honor to step through the door. And there they are, just waiting. They can hear all the sound inside, acute hearing, hearing tuned by their lack of sight. They can hear the sounds of people celebrating inside. They can hear the praises of Jairus and his wife. They can hear the voice of their little girl crying out and laughing and and just shouting for joy. They can hear the people inside so grateful for what they've been present for. People outside still milling around can't believe what's going on. And here they are, a couple of blind men. They can't go inside. Jairus is a holy man and for them to enter his house would be to defile it. They can't go inside. They have to stay there. They're just hanging around, just sort of lurking, waiting. Jesus comes down the stairs. Finally, he and the disciples come out the front door. And as they do, you know, you know what happens to Jesus everywhere he goes. As he comes out the front door, people start to gather. There starts to be a bit of a a crowd around him. On his way out, these guys see him. In a year and a half from now, we'll have a a similar experience as Jesus is leaving Jericho and blind Bartimaeus calls out. As he is exiting, as he's coming down the stairs and walking out, these guys hear what's happening. They know Jesus is now there. They can feel the crowd moving. And as that, that crowd sort of oozes past them and around them and they start hearing the voice of Jesus and start hearing people take his name, suddenly they begin to speak. The Bible says two blind men followed along behind him shouting. What is with these blind men and shouting? We keep running into these guys and they're shouting. If you had an opportunity to, to interact with Jesus and see an absolute transformation in your mouth, do you think it might bring you to shouting? Do you think you might reach out? You, you know when Christians shout? When we're frustrated with God. 
We will sometimes shout a prayer when we're frustrated. Most of the time, we do not shout. Baseball games, football games, soccer matches even, or football if you're from Europe, of a different animal, you might shout. But we just don't shout. We just don't reach out to Jesus with a voice that's raised. We don't do it. We don't react to Jesus. We don't respond to great things in our lives usually with a shout. A few years ago, we were baptizing a, a gentleman that was right here. And I remember it. I will always remember it. Somebody actually caught it on a picture. I had just lifted him out of the water. And we had been preaching. And, and there had been a recent end to a sermon where I just said, we win. We win. The Bible says we win. He comes up out of the water. He turns and faces you. I don't know if you all remember this or not. He throws both up, hands up in the air and he yells, We win! It's the truth. We win. This, these two blind men know that their opportunity is right there in front of them. And so they start following Jesus, shouting, shouting what apparently is in blind man training manual A, because this is the same thing Bartimaeus says. Son of David, have mercy on us. Maybe, maybe Bartimaeus a year and a half later heard about these guys and said, this is how you get Jesus' attention. It had moved through the underground network of the blind community. And so when they had the opportunity, when Bartimaeus had the opportunity, he said, listen, this is what you do. When you see Jesus coming from anywhere, you just start running behind him shouting, have mercy on us, have mercy, and he'll do it. Maybe that's what was passing through the grapevine. But that's what happened. But Jesus doesn't stop. In Jericho, he stops. Here he keeps going. Through the town, from Jairus' house, on his way to Peter's house, he just keeps going. These guys just keep following. And apparently just keep shouting. As they're working their way through the little streets and as they're working their way to Peter's house. Peter's house, if it's the one we know of today, is very near the synagogue. And so as they head actually toward the, the synagogue, just it's probably not as from here to the back of the building from the synagogue to Peter's house. And as they find their way toward Peter's house, I love what the Bible says about these guys. They went right into the house where he was staying. Do you feel the temerity of this? It's extremely bold. They just go right in like they belong there. They follow the I don't. I'm assuming the rest of the crowd must peel off as they get to Peter's door. Because the Bible doesn't say in this account that the place was packed with people. But they seem like, it seems like the rest of the crowd peels off. Jesus and the disciples go in. Peter's mother-in-law is there having recently been healed. And as they walk through the door, they act like they belong there. You ever think of the fact that sometimes you have to follow Jesus for a while before you get what you want? You ever realize that you're not going to get all the transformation you hope for at the beginning of your walk with God? Now, most of us who have who were far from God when we came to our initial relationship, we saw a lot of changes right at the beginning, right? You know, when we, when we didn't really know God, we weren't following God, we weren't interested in God, and suddenly we came to Him, a lot of stuff changed. A lot of stuff fell away quickly in those first months and weeks. And then it kind of slows its pace, doesn't it? God takes us at a pace we can handle, praise God. We talked about this with the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is to lead you into all truth. When He gets you to a new thing, you are ready to go. 
Now, we get chicken about that, and we don't always step forward when he asks us. But right at wherever he brings us to, whatever door he opens in front of us, we're ready to go through. Now, you and I both know that our prayer life is full of moments when God says, step up here, and we say, well, maybe, maybe not today. Maybe tomorrow. I'll talk, I'll talk to you about this again in the morning, Right? That is the work of the Holy Spirit, drawn to the next step. And here are these guys. They have followed Jesus across town. They're coming to the door of Peter's house. They do not stay outside. They go in. They follow him right in the door. How cool is that? You get to follow Jesus wherever he goes. You get to. You have the, the invitation from God. He has made a way there where there was no way. Come, follow, follow, follow. It's going to take you some places that you might not be comfortable going. A blind person coming into someone's house without an invitation is likely to be thrown out on their ear because they're unclean. Like the women, the woman in the street, unclean. Like the leper, unclean. Like the Gentile, unclean. Like the demoniac, unclean. Jesus is actually making a habit of touching people who are unclean. Calling Levi, that tax-collecting traitor, to his side, unclean. Having lunch with his unclean buddies, those notorious sinners, as Matthew describes them. Notorious sinners. I love that term. What an idea. Post office sinners. And the Pharisees are trundling along behind there. Nobody wants to be in nobody wants to be in Dutch with the Pharisees. Nobody wants these guys on you because your name's going to be all over Facebook and Twitter and who knows what all. You're just they're just going to blackball you from here to the other end of the world. And then come these two blind guys. Somebody probably got out their iPhone. Make sure they catch a picture of Peter and the blind guy. Now he's unclean. Look at his house. These guys, look who he's here with. Look who he's allowing in the door. They follow him. They don't ask. They just follow him right in. And Jesus turns and asks them that question that we all think is silly. He asks it every once in a while. He will ask it in a year and a half to Bartimaeus. He's asked it in the process of talking to some people already in this section of Matthew. Do you believe that I can make you see? When you're following Jesus, at some point, at some point, you're going to face the question of, do I believe, do I have faith, do I trust that God can get me from here to there? Do I trust him with my particular addiction? I have a lot of faith in God for other people's addictions, but do I trust Him for my particular addiction? Do I trust Him for my particular relationship? You know, God will heal your marriage and I'll bless you and I'll pray for you, but do I trust Him for my particular relationship? Do I trust God for my and with my particular set of children? Do I reach out to God and say, hey, these are your kids, you love them more than I do, take them. 
I am going to come to things that I have struggled trusting God, struggles trusting God with. It is a fact of our Christian experience. And here are these guys. They're standing there looking at... Well, they're not looking. They're just listening to Jesus. And he confronts them with their own faith. Do you actually believe in what you're asking me for? They've been walking through town shouting it. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Can you please define for me what mercy on you means? What is it exactly that you want from me? You ever throw out the general prayer? Lord, please bless me. Okay, I'm giving you one new hair. It's going to pop out today. (laughs) Happens to grow out of my ear, but here it is. (laughs) How will you know what blessing God has given you without asking specifically for that blessing? How will any of us know unless we define what we're trusting God for that He actually can be trusted when He answers? If we are not specific about our prayers, we cannot be praising about His answers. God may be pouring blessings all over you. You don't know because you haven't really asked. You know when we find out what those prayers, those answers were, when we find out what those answers were, two, three, four years from now, when retrospectively we look back and go, Whoa, I was doing pretty well. Usually it's when we hit a low spot. We had a chuck hole in the road of life and now we're kind of jumped, we're kind of brought to our attention and we kind of go, wow, man, things are kind of going badly right now. And we look back and go, oh, I should have been praising God more because I was doing okay. Maybe we ought to get up and start counting blessings. But we won't even recognize blessings if we're not praying specifically enough. What do you guys want from me? You've been saying mercy on, mercy on, mercy on. Mercy on what? I can have mercy on your family, mercy on your children. I can forgive your sins. What specifically do you want? Do you trust me? Seems like you guys want me to heal you. Do you trust that I can actually do that? Do you believe, in other words, that I am God and I have the authority of God in this room at this time for your life? It's the same question we're all asking. It's the same question he asks of all of us. It hasn't changed from then to now. It didn't change when he was talking to Abraham. It didn't change in the garden when he was talking to Adam and Eve. He says, do you trust me with your tomorrow? Do you trust me with what you really want? Are you willing really to believe that I can do this? Do you believe that I am God? The whole New Testament will hinge on this statement, Peter will, 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 will one day say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus will say, on that, on that rock, I will build my church. And the New Testament is built on that. Do you believe that he is the son of God? Do you really believe that Jesus is God? And he says, do you guys, do you guys believe I have the power of the creator? Do you believe I have the power of the and the authority of heaven on my side? Do you believe that with a word I can remake your eyes and reestablish sight, turn on the nerves that connect to your brain, open up your eyes and allow them to take in the light, turn on those little, those little cellular rays in the back so you see color in all of its shades and black and white and light and dark? Do you believe that I can do that? Do you believe that I can make you see? Their, their answer is, is, is a little too quick. Yes, Lord, they told him. We do. 
I don't think they actually know how much this means. You remember Israel when God, when, when God is standing there speaking or God is not, I don't know what he was doing because he was on fire on the, on the top of the mountain. But the voice of God is coming out, out of the mountain and Israel is gathered in front of them at Sinai and God speaks the commands of God, commands to the people. When he tells Moses, here are all the things to tell them. Do you remember what they say at the end of this? Everything you say, we will do. How did they do? How do you do? Yeah. We have good intentions, God. We really do have good intentions. We want to follow. We believe we can follow. Our good intentions sometimes fall a little short, however. Sure, sure, we, we believe. There's no way they could have known exactly what they were saying. But he took what they had and ran with it. He met them where they were in the moment of their faith and he took what they had and ran with it. Another man will have more insight and he will say, yes, I believe, help me with my unbelief because I got some of that too. We do. We surely do. So Jesus does what he did to the leper. He reaches out and he touches their eyes. So I'm I'm picturing this as a a, a two-fisted sort of moment. You know, it's not one hand on both heads. It's two-fisted recovery of sight. Reaches out, touches their eyes. And he says, because of your faith, because you believed in me, because you trusted me, because you trusted that I actually could do this, because you believe that I have the authority to do this, it's going to happen. Receive your sight. Do you realize that the touch point between God's authority and power in your life and the transformation you want is your faith? This is a prayer, right? Are we not watching an active prayer, a a prayer that's moving right in front of us? Jesus shows up and they begin to pray. Son of David, have mercy on us. And the prayer builds up into a shout. Son of David, have mercy on us. And the prayer is so strong and the desire is so meaningful that they follow him right into Peter's house, forgetting the offense that they might be creating. And then he challenges them. Do you really? Do you really believe? And they say, yes, we do. He says, all right, I'll take it. Be healed. The power of God flows through their body and all of the need is provided. The eyes open, the, the nerve endings reaff- reaffirm themselves, and they open their closed eyes because you close your eyes and somebody puts their hands in your eyes, right? You would close your eyes, Correct. And when he removes his hand, they open their closed eyes and they see Jesus. Isn't that awesome? They open their eyes and right in front of them is a face that goes with the voice that they have known. Have you ever seen someone in person that you'd never seen before? You've maybe heard their voice and you had expectations of what that voice went with. I saw Chris Tomlin recently in person. 
Thank you, Craig and Dee Dee. He's kind of a little guy. The pictures of him, you see this much, right? He's got a normal-sized head. But he's kind of a little guy. No offense, Chris Tomlin, if you happen to be listening, but you're a little dude. And when I looked at him, I thought, wow, all that comes out of that little package. Because I had expectations of what this guy was going to look like. And he just didn't fit it. What would you imagine? Because we have all these paintings of Jesus, right? I've seen paintings of Jesus where he looks like he's just about to take his last breath. He just looks so gaunt and so worn. I mean, he's, he's out there in the fields with the disciples, but he just looks like he's about to die. I've seen more robust pictures of Jesus. I have one in my office where he looks like he may have been wielding an axe recently. He's kind of a bigger guy, stronger guy, hair's a little bit more messy, and he looks like, a, to me, a first century guy, just a normal guy. Got a smile on his face, by the way. I've seen lots of somber pictures. What's the picture of Jesus in your mind? You think he'll be a disappointment? Yeah, I have my doubts here. I'm pretty sure that when you open your eyes, you're going to go, oh, more than I ever imagined. These guys have his hands on their face, and when he pulls away his hands, the first thing their eyes behold, their healed, new, 2020 vision eyes, is the face of Jesus. Do you know that's the plan for you? Do you know that's the plan for you? Whether you pass away before Jesus comes and you're planted in the ground asleep, pushing up daisies, waiting for the resurrection, or whether you're alive when Jesus comes, you're still going to be transformed. And that transformation will not just be a spiritual one, it will also be a physical one. Full restoration of what you were supposed to be, what you were designed to be in your Adam and Eve pre-fall state. Full recovery of everything without sin. And then you will rise up to meet Jesus in the air, according to Thessalonians. And you will see Jesus with your new eyes. That's what happens. They see Jesus. The Bible says simply their eyes were opened and they could see. The understated nature of the biblical healings is always amusing to me. Because I always think about what I would do if that happened to me. And I will not belabor the point because you know where I'm going with this. There's no way that that was a, oh, this is cool. Thank you very much. No way. The excitement that must have gone through that house. The joy that ran through those guys. Reverberating through the disciples, the smiles on everybody's faces, the praises for God, the prayers of thanksgiving filled the house. It was a lot like Jairus' house down the street. Now they were echoing the sounds that they had only heard before. They were echoing the response to the faith that had, that they had in the power of Jesus' hands. They were echoing those same things they had just heard. So amazing. I don't know how long it takes. How long would it take you to praise God for healing you? It might take you the rest of your life, right? As this thing quiets down and the smiles on their faces are still broadly there, still gazing at Jesus. He's now, listen, guys, 
And the Bible says sternly. It's an interesting phrase. The Bible says that Jesus told them sternly. Now, to go unpack the Greek here, it really is not, listen, you fellas. It's about the passion with which he says it. The, 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 verse gets, the, the word gets translated several different ways in the New Testament, but it's really about the passion with, with which Jesus... He said, guys, I'm, I'm serious about this. I'm really serious about this. Don't tell anyone about this. Again, I ask you, how would you do with that? How are you keeping this a secret? Do you keep your stick? You know, do you now walk through town perfectly able to see, pretending like you can't? How do you keep this from your mom and dad? From your friends, your neighbors, the other blind guys in the town? How do you keep this from people? Don't tell anyone. But think about what's going on. Just across the sea, just across the Sea of Galilee in Gennesaret, he told that guy, stay here and tell everybody. But he's been ministering in Galilee. And there's a real temptation in and around Galilee to think of Jesus as a magic trick. To think of Jesus just as a guy who performs wonders. He goes around and whole villages are healed. Isn't it cool? And as cool as that is, and as concerned as he is about everyone he comes in contact with who needs his touch, that's not his primary reason for being. His primary reason for being was to teach them about the arrival of the kingdom. He was teaching and preaching and healing. And if these guys... Start telling all their friends. There will be a line of blind people out the door in 10 minutes. Wouldn't you be? I think Bartimaeus is actually a testimony of the spread of this story in the fact that he uses the exact formula that these guys used. Lurking outside the city of Jericho, following and shouting, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. So Jesus tells him, Okay, guys, really, don't tell anyone. And they fail miserably. But instead, they went out and spread his fame all over the region. There's another healing that follows on the heels of this one. Can you say a healing on the heels? There's another healing that follows on the heels of this. We don't really have time for it this morning. But I want, I want to talk for a second, just a, a minute, about the responses. So the crowds are apparently still outside. This is all going on. People are hearing. These guys come out. They start telling their story. Jesus will heal a deaf man who is also uh, possessed of a demon. Just right after, on their way out, he's brought in. Because sometimes a person has to be brought to Jesus because the, the devil has such a grip on them that they can't get there on their own. Church, 
But the crowd, the crowd is amazed. And they say, nothing like this has ever happened in Israel. Nothing like this has ever happened. It's crazy what's been happening. He was up on the mountain like Moses. He healed that leper. Remember? He healed the, the, the servants of, of, of that Gentile guy. I heard he, that he went out and he calmed the storm. He's healed those two ladies. He just healed these two guys. This is crazy. This is amazing. This is fantastic. And then the Pharisees. They're also there. And the Pharisees said... Mm, yeah. You know how he does this? You know how he casts out demons and does all this stuff? Simple. He is empowered by the prince of demons, Lucifer himself, Satan himself. This guy isn't from God. This is the power of Satan right in front of you. The whole crowd is gathered around Jesus as he goes through the street. One woman gets healed because she reaches out in faith. One man whose daughter is sick. I'm sure there are lots of sick kids in Galilee. One man whose daughter is sick sees Jesus' miraculous healing of his daughter because he reached out in faith. Two blind men follow him all the way to Peter's house. They are sure that he can do this. And he heals them. Some friends of this guy who's so bound up by a demon he can no longer speak. Take him in in front of Jesus. He casts out the demon and heals the man and he speaks. Why these people? Because they believe in the authority of Jesus to do what he said he can do. So here we are today. Knowing that neither amazement nor denial accesses healing. The crowd wasn't healed. Amazed as they were, they were not healed. Jesus was a cool story, an amazing event, but he wasn't changing anything for them. We are in danger of coming to church seeking an amazing story about Jesus and not extending and believing and trusting and having faith. It's real easy to do. We preachers, we work really hard at trying to make sure we don't bore you in the name of God. I think it's actually a sin to bore people in the name of God. Thank you, office personnel, Deborah. It's easy to go around looking for the the preacher, looking for the story, looking for somebody to tickle our ear and not ever hand over our heart. The crowd was amazed, but they were left unchanged. The Pharisees fully denied him. They also left unchanged. The people who were changed, the people in whom faith was found. I want to talk about the last guy and then I'll close. The last guy was brought there. Somebody else's faith met his 
need as he was brought face to face with Jesus. Like the man lowered through Peter's roof, when he saw their faith, he moved on behalf of this man. Our world is pretty messy, don't you think? We yell at each other. I have stopped. I haven't blocked them. I just stopped paying attention to some folks. Because everything they write seems to be in capital letters. They seem kind of angry most of the time, and they're, they're mad about one side or the other, and I just, it's like, okay, fine. Guys, can you, can you, can you believe that God is God for a minute? We don't have to resolve this thing by political means. No matter whether you love or hate this or that politicians, they're not the answer. Jesus is still the answer. So can we get off the memes train? Can we get off the joining the conversations train? Can we let the screaming go on with somebody else and exit, church exit? And instead bring our faith and our prayers and our desires for the blessings of those people into that discussion? Can we bring the hope of Jesus Christ into a world that desperately thinks it can find it in political means? That's our call. That's who we are. We're bringing our friend who's so bound up by Satan. They can't even bring themselves. We're the blind men who followed him home and were healed. And now we're supposed to be out on the road looking for folks like us to take home. That's church. That's our call. That's who we are. That's what we're supposed to be. That's why Jesus brought us into existence. Because the world desperately needs to hear an answer other than a politician, other than a tax plan, other than a, a whatever and a whatever. Whatever payment plan we think we can make to make it change. The answer to the change needed is actually sitting in your seat. And Jesus looks at us and he says, Do you believe I can do this? Let's pray. Father in heaven, oh, it's so often that we get caught up in the same mess as everybody else does. Please help us to realize that we're not citizens of California or the United States or even this globe. That our citizenship is in heaven. And we're called to bring a different answer to this place. Not to lack concern or to ignore trouble or to ignore pain. But to embrace those things and engage the authority of heaven. 
Yes, I, Lord, please don't let us, please don't let us walk by someone who's in dire need and just say, well, I'll pray for you. Lord, challenge us in those moments to, to have a better answer, a personal answer, to step into those situations ourselves, to not call somebody else to do it, some organization, some political group, but to, to step into it ourselves. But when we hit our knees at the end of the day, when we roll out of bed in the morning, please, through the authority of your Holy Spirit, call us to prayer. To believe that you are the answer. To lean on your authority through whatever comes. We trust you. We trust you.